everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Bootstrap Web. Brian, it's been a little while. It's been a little while. You know, I think you and I have both have had a lot of things going on over the last, what, four or five, six weeks where it's like, it kind of felt good not to podcast <laughs> for a couple of weeks there. <laughs> yeah. Some weeks I was like jubilant and other weeks I was like gloomy. And it was almost like, I almost prefer not to record in, in like that. Yeah. That yo-yo and same here. And, you know, there's still always a lot kind of going on and swirling around and up in the air. I do feel like I have turned a corner in the past week with some clarity, which hopefully will be good for for the podcast. I feel in a similar way. And really it's comparing to where I was a few weeks ago. I mean, right. Let's, let's just, let's just get out there and talk about it. Since the last time we recorded, a lot has changed in the market and it's both macro, right? It's, it's like what you see in the markets and in the news and on the Twitter timeline. And it has definitely made its way into the micro, into our companies and our revenue and everything. I had very interesting timing with my fundraising process, which kicked off like two days before the crash. You were like kind of just getting started with this and it was like a week or two before. That's right. And so it went from, well, this is gonna be a piece of cake. Like, because historically speaking, you you go out there, you raise your hand, you get a few term sheets and you kind of like move on with your life. Like that is no longer the case. (laughs) That is not, of course there are exceptions, hallelujah to the exceptions, but generally speaking, that's not what's going on in the market. And we had this we had this double whammy where our space, our two big competitors, fast and bolt, like so that all at the same time with the market just spooked a lot of people. You would prefer that your competitors, the big ones that you're dealing with, aren't amazing and everyone loves them, right? That's kind of tough. But if they go so sour and so bad, all of a sudden starts to bring questions about the space and the industry and the product set, all that stuff. Like, so you, you kind of stuck, right? One of our competitors fast went out of business and the other one bolt got sued by their biggest customer. And then like all of this drama on top of the other drama, which culminated in layoffs last week. So there's just a lot to kind of like explain. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I feel like the theme of, of what I've been thinking about, and this is just a general thing. There's always this dual track. You know, like in entrepreneurship, I feel like the game really is the mid to long term. Like, where are we headed? What do we need to do or change or learn? And, and where where's this going in the future? And then there's the right now. You know, we we've got to keep shipping. And and I feel like that it was really the theme for me in the last month, because you know, right around the time that you were starting with that, and so like, what sort of set off alarm bells in my world was you know a slowdown in growth. On, on MRR and, and what was really difficult about it. And I can get into what I've been doing about it and, and how he turned a corner. But so I started to notice in, I guess it was really April was like the big month where the MRR graph really kind of stalled. It, it started to slow down a little bit in, in March, but then April was when the alarm bells sort of like, oh, this trend is not really stopping. And then May, it got a little bit better. But the challenging thing for me was like, we're still seeing steady and even growing free signups, and we're seeing steady and growing customer signups. 
And the thing that's, that was obviously, you know, dragging it down was, was some churn and like a consistent, you know, a, a, just a consistency of, of the churn numbers, which I, I didn't like to see, you know, there's always going to be some, especially in, in a young product, I think, but I started to see a lot of the same churn reasons come up again and again. And that started to, you know, raise alarm bells in terms of like, you know, product market fit and everything. And, but then it, it, it also happened at the same time that the market and, and the economy is start, especially in this software space is starting to, you know, everyone's starting to report like, oh, April and, and May are not, are historically down. We see like industry-wide trends. I still am convinced that there's, in my case, there's more to it than just the macro trends. There is definitely a product product issue that I have to work through that, that I've been working through. And I'm, that's what the big thing that I want to talk about is, is this, I, I've been doing uh, jobs to be done interviews. I've, I've done 20 of them. I, I learned a ton. And right now I'm like wrapping those up and pivoting to, okay, now taking what I've learned and making the necessary changes, you know, like the long-term and, and short-term thing is like, while I have a ton of these customer interviews going on, that's all research and learning for the future. And, but we as, still have, as opposed to the immediate, mm -hmm. we still have features to ship every single week. And, and I, and I also got a little bit frustrated with like, we have all these like features that we're way overdue for shipping. And, and like just hearing the requests again and again, it's like, I can't believe I've been promising this feature for like eight months and I still haven't even <sighs> shipped it, you know? So, um, being hard on yourself for it. So, 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 you know, I, I started to hustle more. My, my developers shipped some good stuff, but I, I went in and, and built a couple of these features myself and we, and we did finally get out the door, like a much better recorder. Uh, we got like unseen notifications. Now we've got this, this cool feature where you get like stitched together multiple messages in, in a recording thread and into one single download, you know, custom message limits. So like all, all these like little things that it's like, ugh, finally we can like, I can like stop promising this feature and be like, yes, we have it. <laughs> that, that is a relief. I'm sure you have the challenge of the short term and then like the medium and long term, and, and trying to do both at the same time. And I'm like literally working on both at the same time. That's the, it's like my job on both. <laughs> yes, which is which is a different version of the challenge. My challenge has been that this fundraising environment is is so intense that I can't even, I'm barely aware of the short term. I, I, I'm doing like checkups with the team to make sure that I stay aware because I'm not in Slack reading all the stuff that I normally would read and seeing how customers are asking things and support requests and features that are going live. Like I, I can barely even wrap my head around that. My true north, my mantra has been pay more attention to my inbox than to my Twitter timeline. That, that, that was like my guiding post because those first few weeks reading the Twitter timeline was so doom and gloom and so depressing and so scary that it was like, oh, clearly that's, that's just no longer helpful. <laughs> okay, I can acknowledge that things went sour, but if I look at my inbox, it's like amazing opportunities, incredible people, new people who want to join the company. So I, I basically started to just talk to myself, like check Twitter less, keep focused on what's actually happening. Almost like that, that day to day that you're talking about the short term is much more optimistic than, than what's happening in the market, right? We, our companies don't have the scale 
that the economy impacts us the same way, right? If you look at Shopify, like they have like this index of e-commerce because there's such huge scale that when e-commerce is down and spending is down, Shopify is down. Like you and I cannot blame the market on like our issues and our demand and our churn and all these other things. So it's really tempting to get caught up in the macro, but you know, you can't lose sight of, of, of what you need to do and, and what actually matters. So what, what can you talk about with your fundraising here? And, and what I'm kind of curious is, is like, how, how do investors look at what's happening here in terms of like making new investments, right? Because like, it does seem like everything that's happening in the economy, I mean, who knows what, what the hell is going to happen, but it seems like even if we're heading into a recession, it's not going it's, it's to be forever. It's going to be a short, probably a short-term thing or a, I don't know, a year or two, who knows? Like, but like investors are investing for the long-term. So why do we see all, all that carefulness com- coming from the VC world? There, there are several and sometimes conflicting things happening at the same time in like the venture startup world. It is definitely true that the public markets and the multiples that got restricted so severely, right? I mean, companies like Shopify, they're down 80%, right? It's like, maybe it's like a crypto shitcoin at this point. But it's really a matter of like the, the multiples were, were insane. And now they're like coming back down to reality because people don't think the growth is going to be there. And so that definitely impacts later stage, right? So if you're investing in series B, C, D, E, you're aiming toward going public. And then, of course, the price you go public at is now much, much lower than what it looked like it was going to be a year ago. So that immediately impacts the later like growth stage rounds. It starts to have an impact on like series A and C, definitely less of an impact. But but VCs are nothing if not like great arbiters of like what others are doing and what others are thinking and feeling, right? They have a very good sense of where things are and they take a lot of cues in that. It's very rare uh, for investors to really genuinely completely think on their own and ignore everything. Like you, you'll see some of it, right? You'll see like the Warren Buffett style, like be greedy when others are scared type of a thing, right? So uh, Andreessen Horowitz announcing a $4.5 billion crypto fund last week is like not an accident, right? They could have announced it whenever. They announced it right at the most gloomy period for crypto because they're like, everyone, everyone's scared. We're going to go so over the top big. So it is also true that a lot of funds raised enormous amounts of money over the last six months. So there is an incredible amount of money that still needs to find a home. It needs to be deployed. That's literally what they do for a living is make investments. So they're not just going to sit back for a year and do nothing. But it just it just changes the environment and it, and it changed overnight. So in previous like encounters with investors, if you were raising around, they expected very, very aggressive behavior from other investors. And what that meant so it's for like them- more competitive. Much more competitive. And what meant for them, it's less due diligence, less time to get to know the team, and you better make an offer or you're going to lose out on every single deal. So it was this very, very FOMO-driven environment. And so now and there's like more, more scrutiny. That's right. It's just kind of, oh, everyone's stepping back. Like no, no one's driven by FOMO and no one's driven. I mean, people are still driven by FOMO, but they're not driven to the same degree by, oh my God, we need to make an offer or we're going to lose this, this opportunity. So the way 
I've been explaining it to like my team and to myself is that it will make for a healthier relationship with our investors. It's just, it's just a lot of stress to chew on for a while, right? If you look at our competitors, Fast and Bolt, the extreme frothiness of that environment that they raised money in didn't actually help them, right? Fast got drunk on money and started spending $10 million a month before they even had any traction, right? They were making 50 grand a month in revenue, which is a cool amount of money, but not for a company spending $10 million a month. And Bolt raised at a billion valuation. And then later on in the same year, raised at 11 billion. Like, you know, that is astronomical. And now they're in this crazy situation where they encourage a lot of their employees to take out loans to exercise stock options. And now they're doing layoffs. And now like there's a different CEO. So like that didn't actually do that good for them. They have money in the bank. That's good. But it's not a healthy situation to be in. So for us to go through this now with additional diligence, with really like multiple conversations and really getting to know people, it will, I think it will lead to a healthier place. What does this look like, like for you? This, what do you mean for me? Like just day to day, is your day uh, and calendar just consumed with these, these meetings and, and also like who else on your team is involved or is it really like, this is what you're doing and then they're just working on everything else? Yes. Yes. It's that 99% of the time. And then part of the later conversations with funds that are like, you know, you have this initial conversation and it's like a funnel. It's like a sales funnel, right? You, you talk to 50 people and the out of those 30 are like, you know what, this is awesome. You're great. Good luck with everything, but it's not right for us. And then only, you know, a certain amount go to the next stage in the funnel. So it's like that. And in the later stages of the funnel, people want to get to know your co-founder. They want to meet your VP of product, right? The, basically, the people that you're telling them about that make your team special, they're like, great, let's meet them. Let's kind of have those conversations and kind of get to know each other. So the biggest difference is that in, in many ways, it feels like it's going back to normal, right? Normal fundraising was a six to eight week process of getting to know people, going through that funnel, identifying the best fits, getting term sheets negotiating and closing a deal. What, what was happening over the last two years was barely even mentioning that you consider investing. Then you get a term sheet from the people who have been following you. Then you tell all the other investors that you already have a term sheet. Then you get more term sheets. And then you're kind of like done three weeks later in this very competitive environment with the valuation going through the roof. Like that was awesome for a while, but it wasn't <laughs> I was, real. <laughs> I was going to say like, man, that sounds nice. Just so quick. So like, so quick and done and get back to work, you know? Yes. Yes. And now it's kind of like, not going to be like that. It's more of a six to eight week grind. And it is extremely, extremely distracting because you are not focused on the day to day. And what that means is you want to protect your team as much as possible and take as much of the brunt of that distraction as possible. And that is, like the, I remember the first two weeks in my mind, I was like complaining. I was like, God damn it. I wish it was easier. You know, I, I was doing all that. And then at some point I was like, yeah, this is your job. <laughs> this is literally what your role is, is to make sure that we have money in the bank and can do what we need to do. And everyone else, you know, I think we've talked about it before on this podcast, the, the fire, the heat in a startup moves around. Sometimes it's in marketing. Sometimes it's in product. Sometimes it's in, you know, somewhere else right now spotlights on me. So, you know, get, get to work. There are so many like lessons in, in entrepreneurship that I constantly relearn 
<laughs> the hard, the hard way. It's like I, I make the same mistakes and then and then I have to relearn the same lessons over and over again. You know, where are you now on on what? what yeah, what's driving that? I feel like I've really gone through a, a pretty big evolution just in the last thirty days or so. I started raising the alarm bells when I when I noticed, I would say like multiple weeks of of steady churn that wasn't there in months prior. But also what what is what was frustrating about it, and I and this I haven't fully experienced in my previous businesses where like we see a steady again, like the top of funnel and the customer growth has been steady. Usually the the challenge is like, oh, I just can't get customers to to, to buy my thing. But like that's that's not the, the the challenge here. The challenge is like like figuring out who are the best customers who are staying and using it and find the tool essential and who are the customers who just sign up and pay for a couple of months, maybe maybe aspirationally, maybe they plan to use it more, maybe they try it a, a little while, but it's just not essential enough for them to stick with it. Okay, which is different from the from the the people that the product ideally wants. So can I ask you like what what that like lesson that you feel like you relearned is? And then I and then I think it would be helpful to to hear some detail around how you're doing these interviews and like Okay. I, I have so much to share. I feel like this might go kind of long. But that's the, good. That's good. All right. The the first one though, before I even started the interviews, is that I, I would say a, a big mistake or a trap that I almost really fell into is identifying this big problem and coming up with a solution right now. Like I see this big problem and okay, my gut tells me we need to change the product and go in this new direction because I think that'll be much better and it would, and, and, we'll, and we'll do much better if we just go ahead and do that, right? And I came and I started thinking through a whole new direction for the product and the marketing and the positioning and, and I got kind of excited about it and I started researching it. I was like, oh, this could really work. And I, I got some good advice from, from, you know, friends and advisors and, and it, it became, it became suddenly clear, like, whoa, 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 hold on. Like, let's not get, let, let's not jump to conclusions here. Let's not jump to a solution before you've fully vetted it, before you've even done any, any research, you know, other than just Googling and looking at other products and stuff. So that, that's when it was like the aha moment was like, no, I need to slow down and do a, a a full process of customer interviews. So then it was like, okay, okay, dumbass, you, you actually need to go talk to your customers for once, you know? I've done customer interviews for all, all my businesses all, you know, through the years. And, and this was that one of those lessons that I, have to, I had to relearn again. It's like, oh, when you actually talk to them, especially at a deep level, you not only learn a ton, and I did learn a ton, but like I get, I, it, it also helps me like emotionally. And mentally, because because I could see these churn things happening, and then I talk to a really happy customer, or I talk to a customer who churned, and it's like, oh well, of course, of course they churned; they weren't yes, a good fit. Yes, you know, yes. it's like instead of all the assumptions you're making in your head. Yeah, yeah, and and, and it just starts to clarify the the path forward, right? That that was sort of like big big lesson number one. You know, again, I've, I've done customer interviews for many years on all my products. This time around. I went for a much more structured and deeper approach using the jobs to be done framework. It's not a framework. It's, it's just really a, an approach to how, how you interview and, and, uh, and gather insights. I sort of relearned a lot about jobs to be done. You know, I, I've been familiar with it, but I, I did a lot more reading up on it and, 
and listening to examples and stuff like that. And the other thing is that with ZipMessage, I, a lot of my previous interactions with customers happened via ZipMessage asynchronously, which was always, always helpful. You know, I can get good, good feedback that way. I still do. But this time I wanted to actually do live calls and do like 45 minute plus deep dives with each person. Right. So, so you emailed? Yes. I, I, well, first I, I went through the customer database and I did some work into figuring out who are the best people to invite. Yep, yep, yep. Makes sense. I think I booked, I invited like 20 or 25 and I booked like 16 or 17. Most of them were paying customers. I tried to invite the people who are most actively using it. And I also, for that first batch, I tried to avoid folks who I'm personally friends with, who I know use the product, you know, I wanted to talk to more strangers, you know? So I did that and I, and I did invite a bunch of people who churned and not surprisingly that that was like a lower response rate, but I did get on, on a couple of calls with some of those folks. So that was like the first batch it was like, I would say 16 recorded interviews. And then there was a batch two, but the first batch was like more of like a wide mix of of use cases, right? I, I did a lot of analysis on like, okay, these five seem to be SaaS companies. These four seem to be consultants. These, these five are agencies. These are coaches. And they're all using it in different capacities, right? So I got on calls and I started to, the big headline takeaway is if I had to really simplify it into two big groups, there's, there's one group that I call coaches and consultants. And then there's the other group, which is sort of like everyone else. So coaches and consultants seem to be turning out to be like the best customers for ZipMessage. And in terms of what I'm, what I'm seeing and what I'm learning, and I can go into the reasons for that, the folks who, are, who don't consider themselves to be a coach or a consultant uh, and and I would I would throw in some agencies into the consultants because they're basically a, a a team of consultants, right? But the other folks are using it more for like team messaging, and some are using it for like sales. Some are using it for trying out asynchronous podcasting, and you know, or like intakes for like job applications or you know, social media stuff. Like, and and all of that is the really challenging thing is that there are good customers in, in all groups, but most of the churn comes from that group of, of, the, of the miscellaneous, right? And the top reason, of course, that I hear again and again is I sent zip message links to other people and I didn't get as, as many responses as I expected I would. Yep, yep, that makes sense. Uh, you, you have two customers in, in that way. Yeah, two, and they're like very different customers. Like they, they, intend to use that message in a very different way. And then once I started talking to those coaches and consultants, it started to become more and more obvious. I mean, first of all, their relationship with their clients that like their clients are paying them. The thing that they sell is their conversations. They sell their time and their communication with clients. Like they don't have a software product. They have themselves and they sell, sell them speaking to clients. That's what clients buy. So clients are, are incentivized to talk with, with them. And so they, they turn to ZipMessage to be that async messaging tool to keep in constant contact in between their live Zoom call sessions with, with their clients, whether it's one-to-one -one clients or coaching clients. 
or I mean group coaching um, or, or consulting in some way. And then, there, and then there's like so many different types of coaches and consultants. Some are like one-to-one sort of like mentor, like let's, let's let me work with you directly. Some are like team coaches where they'll work with a whole sales team and they coach individual people within a company. Some are like dog trainers, some are music teachers, you know, life health coach, business coaches, all of them. How do you interpret that? Is it allowing them to create more value like with the same resources or on their own time or, or right? It's, it's like a magnifier. The, the value happens. And here's like another aha moment for me. I thought that zip message was a way for people to like reduce the amount of communication they need to do, right? Like save time, get more, get more freedom, right? But in a way, the opposite is what they want. They want to communicate more. They want to give their clients more communication access to them because that, that's good for their business. Their whole business is built on these relationships, right? And if it's done asynchronously and on the consultant's time, they can just decide to send out messages whenever they need to. They don't need to schedule. They don't yes. Need, okay. Like it enables them to, to actually do more communication. Otherwise, they, they would, it would be prohibitive, right? Like they, they already do some Zoom calls with clients. That's always going to be there, right? But the, the additional communication that happens in between the Zoom calls, which is still not just like scheduling emails or this or that, it's, it's more like actual consulting that, or like quick questions or, hey, I need feedback on this thing from my coach. But, it's, but the alternative for them would be to hop on, on, on an additional Zoom call. And that's, that would cost too much to, to offer that for their clients. It would cost too much in their time. You have to schedule it all that. Yeah. And, and, and they've tried to use other tools. Like I, I learned through these interviews because I've, I've never really been like a coach as my business. I, I've dabbled in it through productizing stuff, but, I, but I've never made that like my business. Right. And I learned about all the commonalities that coaches see and deal with um, in terms of how they engage with clients. Like a lot of them have used things like Voxer or WhatsApp to do that job of, of handling the async in between sessions you know, asynchronously, but, you know, they complain about how like, well, that just gives my clients too much access to me. They can message me anytime, even after our engagement ends and, and things like that. And, and it's like an app that gets lost. And so really what they need and what I learned that they're using ZipMessage for is like, they're using it, they're making it like the official line of communication that they establish with, with a client for like that important back and forth communication. And they, and they install it into their business in that way. Right. And that's what I was looking for in, in these in, in this research project was like, I, I need ZipMessage to be more essential. That's right. That's right. Oh, wow. <laughs> the other thing that I'm seeing coaches and consultants do. And this was not apparent to me until I started talking to them. A lot of them take the extra steps to onboard their clients into ZipMessage. Like they create As a user inside of their own ZipMessage account. Yeah. Like a coach or a consultant signs up a new client. One of their first steps during onboarding the client is like, okay, client, I use this tool called ZipMessage. I'm going to send it to you and you're going to see this red button and you can click that button to record and send me a response. Now send me back the first response and, and, and now, now we're in time. Like they create their own how-to videos for their clients on how to use ZipMessage. This is how we communicate during our engagements. Yes. 
Yeah. And then there, and, and when I ask them the question again, like two halves of, of, of the segments, right? One half is telling me, you know, when I sent zip message links out, they get confused or they don't mm -hmm. reply this and that. I asked the same question to the coaches and consultants. What happens when you send it? Like, how's the uptake? Right. They're like, oh, it's, it's been no issues. It's been amazing. You know, they right. just do it. Right. Because they're motivated by the fact that they're literally paying for the service. And this is part of the service. This is part of the value that they're getting. Yeah. Oh, this yeah. is some very interesting stuff, right? Yeah, man. <laughs> and like, and, and the, the other big aha was like, okay, across the spectrum of the people that I spoke to, a lot of them did come from my audience, even if I, I and like when I invited them, I didn't realize, like I didn't, I didn't recognize their names or whatever. Either they listened to this podcast, you know, thank you folks, or, or they heard about it on Twitter, which is sort of a derivative off of my audience and stuff. The coaches, most of them found it through Googling or seeing it through the viral loop. Like they, they received a zip message from someone and then they signed up and started paying and they, and, and, and it's like actively being like, no idea who I am. They don't even know that the message is like new. They just started. There's demand that already exists that's out looking for a solution. Yep. Yep. Wow. I don't know about anyone else listening. It makes me want to go talk to my customers. <laughs> <laughs> right. This is yep. incredible. It's incredible that, that I tweeted. I, so I, I've been doing this really long Twitter thread throughout this whole process over literally like a month long now. And, and I just keep adding to it with the, with the learnings. The first tweet in this thread is like a screenshot of my calendar. It shows all the bookings of, of these customer interviews, which I usually, I look at that calendar. I'm like, I hate that. Like I, I need an open calendar. I'm all about async, but now, and I still have like a couple more interviews scheduled for next week. Like I'm psyched. I, I can't, I can't wait to talk to more customers, you know, because it's like, look, I saw, I saw another churn come in this morning and it, it never feels good when you see that notification, like somebody stopped paying, right? But, but now as I'm going through this process, it's like, I, again, I don't feel good about it, but I feel okay with it because it's like, I, I see the them confirms. churning yes. and, th and they are not the best customers that I spoke to. And I yes. know why, and now I know why they churn. Mm -hmm. And it confirms like, okay, the lessons I'm learning are not misleading. And that makes sense. That makes sense with my new understanding of the world. That churn makes perfect sense. Now, what I learned is that, all right, again, these people I Googled or they found it organically and they signed up and started paying. And when I look at our current homepage, it doesn't speak to coaches or consultants like at all. It's like, it, like it's, it's kind of amazing to me that, that coaches or consultants even were convinced enough to even sign up for the product because we don't speak to them at all right now. That's that that's the running through the wall need. Yeah, yeah, I, I think like so. I I have I know what my problem is. This product says what it does, and I can figure out through you know and interpret in my own way that yeah, this I'm can... gonna like adapt it to my own use case. Yep, yep exactly. You know? Okay, so now so like what do you do? And this is really hard. And and in all my research about jobs to be done, I have yet to find real good case studies on what people did at the end of the jobs to be done process. What did they do about it? What, the after, they, after they get all these amazing learnings, how, what changes did they make and how did that impact? I haven't found any good case studies on that. Um, so this is where it got difficult for me to, but this is what I'm in now. So, so basically now that I've learned and I laid out everything I just did here, 
uh, today I, I rewrote, the, this is not live yet, but I rewrote the homepage and, you know, writing all really, I think drastically different copy in terms of like how we're positioning and speaking to the audience. And I'm a little bit nervous to, to launch these copy changes on, on the homepage. Yeah. But, okay. but given everything that I've learned, it's like, this is the obvious. Right. Worth, worth a shot for sure. I've seen your use case pages. I use it in a conversation with a friend uh, last week, actually, because they were trying to figure out how to aim toward different use cases and learn more. And I, I showed that menu. Do, do you have a page there that's for this use case more specifically? I do. There is a coaching one there. One one of the things that I'm going to do is cut a couple, several of those use case pages. Just out. remove. Just just remove them. They're they're attracting the wrong customers. You know. Mm-hmm. I do have a client's page and then a more specific coaching page. And I think the new homepage, once I launch it, is going to speak to coaches and consultants. The other difficult thing I is I'm not a coach or even a consultant anymore. I've been a consultant earlier in my career. I've dabbled in coaching, but I've never did what a professional coach does and says, I'm going to start a coaching business, right? That's never been me. And I've never personally been interested in doing that. You know, I have to market and position and speak to this audience that that is not me anymore. You know, it's sort of both challenging and like exciting at the same time, you know, because it's like that's where these interviews become even more valuable. Cause like now, now in this second batch of interviews, I'm only speaking to coaches and consultants, you know, like now that I know like that's the best use case, now I'm trying to invite more of them. And, and I'm digging more into like the pain and, and how they're using zip message, but I'm also trying to just learn like, why, why are you a coach? Like what, like what, what drives you to do that for a living, you know? And so like, I'm just trying to learn their whole worldview because it's not necessarily mine, you know? Yeah. I think that's a understandable to be a bit like worried about like, can I sell to people that are not like me and b I mean, this is what people do every day, right? You're going to be, you're going to be totally fine. You just need to keep doing what you're doing, which is like learning what motivates them and how they think. And yeah, I mean, right. I haven't sold products online in, I don't know, 10 years, but you, you, you talk to enough people, you make enough friends that do it and you kind of absorb all of it. And then you can be empathetic toward that, that worldview. Yep. Yeah. And I, and I feel like it's still broad enough that it's not like too hyper niched down. I am a little nervous with the new copy on the homepage. I feel good about it, but it's much more narrow than, than what it currently is. You know, it, it is broad enough that it's like if client conversations, client communications are the core of your business, there's so many different types and, and flavors of that, you know? So just, just people who call themselves a coach there's so many flavors of that. And I see them in our customer base. Like there's business coaches, there's like health life coaches, there's, there's team coaches there, you know, and then people who don't necessarily call themselves a coach, but they call themselves a consultant. But what they logistically do is very similar. They do calls with clients and they give them advice. Yeah. You know? I, I see that um, world as like, a very raw version of entrepreneurship. It's yeah. if you, I have expertise you pay me and I will help you achieve the goals that I know how to help people achieve. It's like 
almost straightforward in that way. The delivery of it and the selling of it, not so much straightforward. Yeah. But it is, I, I have valuable information and experience and I'm willing to sell it to you because that'll help you achieve your goals, right? Yeah. Well, that can be for weight loss or growing a business or I don't even know anything else. Yeah, yeah. The, the nice thing is that the, our product is already there, like in terms of what it is, how it's designed, it's, it is a perfect tool for, for that use case. We're gonna continue to ship our, our features that are in the roadmap, but like it, this, this new direction and positioning does not require a big change in the product, you know? Hallelujah. Um, and uh, it's, it's really just a marketing change. And, you know, I, I, in the past month, I started kicking off some new marketing investments. So now I know where, where to focus that, that energy in terms of target customer and stuff. Very cool. Pretty incredible. I mean, nice work you know, so far it's, it's, I don't know, you know, it's like, it's still, still feels like a gamble, but I, but I feel just having this clarity now, cause I, I almost made a big mistake a month ago in not doing these customer interviews and just going full speed ahead on some new positioning direction, which was not this, that would have been a gamble. That would have been a gamble. Yep. I don't know about that, but it, but this is like, there's already evidence that it's working and just need to we're all rooting for you and in, in like the, the fact that it's right and, and want to watch. You know, what's been really, um, really weird about this business zip, zip message is like how many times it has evolved in, in just the first year. This whole exercise in, 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 in working through this problem is like, I have to sort of personally like rediscover fundamentally what, what business am I in? What, what is my product? Cause it's a completely different thing than what the original idea yeah. was. It's, it's you know? a lot closer to like that lean startup, like, like being very objective of, I don't know where this is going to go and let, let's let the information lead me in that direction, which most people don't naturally go that way. They have something that they want to do. Yeah. We, we have had to shift a lot based on, based on our market, which, which has been unexpected we went out and called ourselves a one-click checkout because that was the, the most powerful version of the tech. That's where a ton of the work went in. That's where I think the biggest potential is in building a shopper network, right? What, what, what we're calling these days the, the third network, right? The Amazon network that was really easy to buy in. And that gave Amazon this huge advantage. It was the only place on the web that you could just make a purchase immediately with no effort. And now there's a second network in shop pay. And now it's an advantage to be in that network. So like what we call like what we're building is the third network. Everyone outside of the Amazon, the Shopify network that needs to be able to buy things very easily. That's like the biggest version of the opportunity. Cool. But what happened <laughs> is that Fast went out to try to build the same thing and not only crashed and burned in a very like public way, but their product wasn't good. So a lot of merchants that tried it got burned out on the idea of one-click checkout. Then Bolt came along kind of claiming the same thing, and people have had really bad experiences dealing with Bolt. No, you're not making enough money. We don't want to talk to you, all the way ranging, to, ranging from that to let's sign an agreement and a deal. And, oh, after you sign and pay us, then you find out we actually don't have the integration for you yet, so you'll have to wait three months before you can get it. Like all these experiences, and now, now we're kind of more toward like, hey, you can get new revenue with your post-purchase offers. And that in order to achieve that, you have to use our checkout. And oh, there's this additional value in the checkout. That's this one-click, like 
like network thing. I, I really, really did not think that was going to be the case. And it's also positive in that one of the things that Fast got the most traction for was being able to put the, the Fast button, the buy button on the product page. So people didn't have to add to cart and go to the checkout. They could just buy from the product page. I don't like that as a shopper. Yeah, it's like too little lack of purchase. Yeah, it's like, it's like you can't add new things to the cart. You kind of end your journey right then. So I don't like it, but all the people that used Fast, that was their favorite feature. So now we built it in as a feature. So it's not all negative what, what the competitors did. It also like brought us into this new world. Now we're all, all of a sudden we're claiming. They, they sort of like educated the market or, or trained the market on wanting that feature. And now, yes, now you yes, guys they can, like, can deliver it. Yes, yes. So all this stuff requires flexibility. I wanted to ask, I mean, I know you talked a lot about how you're focused on the on the fundraising side of of the business, but like what is happening on, on the product and like what, what are you able to see? It is an enormous privilege and relief to be so distracted. And then whenever I like look inward, things have just gotten a little bit better. Well, I'm bit also better. curious about Rock. I mean, I don't know him well, but like this is your second business kind of partnering up with him. What's he doing differently this time around? Or, or what, what looks different in, in the rally team and product uh, shipping atmosphere. So yeah, rock, rock isn't shipping features. He's not really writing code. And that is completely, completely different from when rock was the main like writer of code, the lead on the most important features, and also the key person for every single deployment. So that none of those are true anymore. So that was like a very conscious choice on, we, we need some layers we need to build a team. We need to build very capable managers. And you cannot be the bottleneck on deployments. You can't be the bottleneck on features. So it's it's like a lot of like strategic planning around like, okay, you know what? Something so critical, like moving our conversion tracking server side for both Facebook and Google Analytics, now that they're both available, he led that. So he's doing the investigation, talking to the customers and like maybe not writing all the code, but making sure things get built this, the right way. It's been a challenging period for the two of us because usually we are at our best when we are really connected and we're talking about our kids and we're talking once or twice a day. And this has kind of like pulled us apart. So we have to have like more deliberate check-ins and it is also stressful. And that stress sometimes comes out in these weird ways and we have to like hash that out very quickly. Like the other day I said something in a way that he didn't like and he was like, yo, I didn't like that. This is what it made me feel like. Like, I know you didn't mean it but that way, but this is how I took it. And I would just want you to know right away. I mean, I think that's a sign of a great, of a great relationship. Just like, hey, that, that was a little off. We got to talk about it. Yes. And then I go back and I read my Slack messages and I was, you know, in LA on the street typing something out and I'm frustrated and I'm just typing something on my phone, hitting send. And I read it. And I'm like, oh, I, that, that's not okay. How I communicated that. So it's been, it's been a lot of work on on that front, because, you know, if that relationship doesn't work, it's kind of like unlikely that other things work. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Good stuff, man. Great. Good to be back on the pod. Good to record. Thanks everyone yeah. for listening and bearing with us while we did mix on first record. Figure it out. <laughs> yep. All right. All right. Later folks. Thanks everyone.